Hello and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast number 168. My name is Hugh Cavill. I am in the driver's seat for the podcast today. Rugby Reg is just having a few weeks off after a couple of big, hard, physical weeks on the podcast. We can forgive him for that, surely, because we've got an absolute belter coming up tonight. We've got a Wallaby legend, a Green and Gold Rugby legend, on in the form of Nathan Sharp. We've also got a few guys coming on later to discuss Super Rugby. But without further ado, let's get straight to him. Mr. Nathan Sharp, Wallaby legend, welcome to the podcast. Must be your fourth or fifth time on becoming a bit of a veteran. Yeah, getting on there. I enjoy uh, having a waffle with you, with you lads. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, look, what, what are you up to these days? Um, I'm just running uh, my recruitment company, uh, SES Labor Solutions, and, and that's about it, really. Uh, and being a casual observer of uh, the rugby union on the weekends these days. Great place to be. Um, so let's get stuck into it. I mean, the Western Force, obviously uh, a foundation player you were and an all-time great of the club. Um, I mean, they've started you know, with a win and a loss. I mean, what do you make of their form so far? Yeah, look, I think the Force, their capability to see that they showed in that first round. But when they get it right, they're going to put, a, they're going to put pressure on all the teams. The second round... You know, they probably found wanting for, you know, the Reds were a desperate team, you know, after their first weekend performance. They had a few injuries, a bit of an attack on the, on the head coach. And I, and I think that, you know, on the back of some good set piece work from the Queensland Reds, they really, um, they really, I guess, outplayed the force on the weekend. Uh, the, the force set piece needs to improve dramatically because they're not the type of team who can score four, five, six tries every game uh, and rely on that. that. They need to build pressure on teams. And if, if they don't have a solid set piece, then there's no chance of, of capitalising on that pressure that they can build. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the set piece, the scrum especially, I mean, really did struggle a bit against the Waratahs and then really struggled against the Reds. I mean, conditions were, were difficult uh, last week. But, I mean, what what do you do from a training perspective after two weeks? I mean... Is it just is it a matter of training itself or is it personnel as well? Oh, there's, there's definitely key personnel issues. You know, I think if you if you look on a broader level, if you put if you take Tatafu Plot now and Stephen Moore out of the Wallaby scrum, the scrum depowers considerably. Uh, and similarly, you take you know experienced player like Pet Cowan, who's in good who, who was in good form out of the fourth front row, you lose a bit of experience. You know, um, you know they had a debutant. At, at, at Lucet, who, who got injured early, and that could be destabilising. You, you're down to your third or fourth prop before the games even really started. So, yeah, look, I think experience is a big thing, and it's not something you can learn overnight. Nathan Charles, you know, he's going to have to really take control of that that, that front row and, and set the tone going forward. And, and look, you've got Tom McIsaac and, and Michael Foley, two of the, the best scrummaging hookers Australia's ever had. Um, because a couple of likes are going to be able to do it. Uh, they're the two, I'd say. I mean, yeah, that, uh, that's right. I mean, I know you've never been coached by Michael Foley. I wouldn't think, unless maybe when he was an assistant. I mean, do you think Michael Checkers is, well, the word is Michael Checkers trying to get him as, as a Wallabies forward coach. Do you think that's a smart move? I think it'll be fantastic. I'd, I'd love to see Michael Checker be the coach with Michael Foley and Stephen Larkin, the assistant coaches. I think that'll be, uh, you know, a really sensible move in a in a World Cup year where you know Stephen Larkham and, and Michael Foley have both got very very good knowledge of Australian players, um, and, and they will have more of that as, as the season progresses. So you know it'll be a really strong strategic move. Having said that, you know Andrew Blade, he's done a great job for the Wallabies, and, and you know through I think through a few key personnel coming back, you know he, he'd also do a great job as well. So we're really lucky in that sense that. Um, there's a couple of good scrum coaches there. They, the Wallabies just can't afford to have too many injuries in, in key positions in the front row because the depth of experience isn't that great. 
Yeah. Um, taking it back to Super Rugby for a second, I mean, the, we're two rounds in. I mean, the Aussie Conference looks as competitive as I've ever seen it. I mean, uh, who do you think? I mean, do you think they're all, all, all the teams are looking pretty good? Or, I mean, who's your pick for the, for the Aussie Conference this year? Look, I, I think it's going to be out of the Waratahs and the Brumbies again this year. You know, once the Waratahs wake up from their uh, their slumber, I think they're potentially going to be a very, very competitive team, purely on the sense that they can score a lot of points very, very quickly. Um, whether or not their game plan is, is going to be as successful as it was last year, you know, you, you saw Michael Checker going into Test Match Rugby and, and uh, teams sort of had worked out that he plays a very lateral game. With his foot, with his with his uh, side to side attack, and he also likes to play off ten a lot with his forwards. So, you know, teams that will have wise up to that this year, and it's going to be hard for them in, in, in the competition. But I think for pure pure uh, grit and determination, if the Brumbies can keep a couple of key members in the field, they're going to be probably the top Aussie conference team this year. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's take a look at the locks because I mean, speaking. Uh, in terms of the Wallabies, I'd say it's probably been our weakest position in terms of the depth and the talent that that's there. Um, I mean, one of the trends in Super Rugby this year so far, and a couple of the uh, real standouts, has been a guy like Lepetti Tamani. Um, but we've also seen it with with Dave Dennis in terms of guys that are have played on the blind side or maybe number eight converting into the second row. Um, what, what's your opinion on that as a as a as a move in Super Rugby and do you think it could potentially, you know, those sort of converted players could work in at the test level? Look, I think in Super Rugby, it's a great idea. You can, you can afford to carry one, you know, more more uh, traditional style lock, and then, and then carry a, a you know a converted blind side flanker in that second row position. Going to test rugby, I don't think you can go anywhere near doing that against the top nations. Um, and I believe that you need two proper locks. In a test team, and and I mean, in your mind, who who are those locks at the moment in Australian rugby? Oh, it's, it's I think it's too early to tell. Um, so far this year, I thought you know I thought Kane Douglas was very good last year before he he left, and obviously he get opportunity with the Wallabies. Uh, Rob Simmons, in terms of um, his line out leadership, you know the the, the Wallabies line out last year was very very good. He hasn't played so far this season, but. He's in a fortunate position where there's no one else in Australia that can can run a, a test match level line out. So, you know, you you have to look at him being uh, picked first and foremost. Uh, and from there, I think it's probably a, a coach's selection, really. You know, you want to put Will Skelton in there and just stick him in the centre field and, and pick a, a jumping number eight and a jumping number six. I think the balance of the Australian back five is going to be really critical selection for for the Wallabies because, you know, Michael Checker could potentially play two jumping second rowers and a, and a jumping number eight and, and then play Michael Hooper and David Pocock either side. But, um, you know, if you pick a, a second rower who's not overly good in the air, you, you compromise other parts of your game. And I think we saw it at Test Match Rugby set piece becomes far more important. Yeah, I mean, let's talk Will Skelton for a sec because he seems to be a pretty polarising player, certainly on, on our website. I mean, it seems like you're either a believer or or, or, or you're not. Um, I mean, certainly he is pretty young and raw, and he in the first couple of rounds, I think he's looked pretty good. I mean, do you, can you see him playing a, playing a role at the World Cup? Yeah, I think definitely he'll play a role. I think you know a guy with his set of skills is, is invaluable to a, to a, to a, a, a test team um, or a test squad. So probably not. A, I don't think he'll be an integral member of the, of the fifteen, but uh, I think he'll, he'll play a big part. You know, cameos here and there. You know, stepping up in those loose support pool games where you know the, the probably the, the the more sort of traditional test locks can get a bit of a break and he can run around and and, and bust up a few of the of the lesser countries. But I think uh, you know, with the balance of back rowers Australia has, they don't have the luxury to be able to pick a you know a Kieran Reid or or a Juan Smith who's going to be very dominant in the line out and then and then have a big hulking second rower like Will Skelton. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a fair point. I mean, looking at Kane Douglas, I mean, as you as you mentioned, I mean, he's obviously been a really big loss, um, and he seems to be. Uh, I haven't 
can't say I've followed it too closely, but it seems to be doing quite well overseas. Um, I mean, he he seemed like he was having a breakout season last year. I mean, obviously he's a big loss to our second row stocks. Yeah, he is. But I mean, there needs to be someone to, to come forward and, and, and step up and, and you know, fill that void. Yeah, I, I'd like to see Sam Carter get a little bit more involved. You know, some games he gets really involved and then, you know, you don't see a lot of him um, for... for Big periods, and, and when I say a lot of him, not so much the ball carrying or the, you know, the big hits, more the contesting, rolling malls, getting stuck into that real contest, one-on-one contest where you you make every single uh, ball-winning opportunity a real, a real hassle for the opposition. You know, really getting in their face. So, you know, I think I think he he needs to develop in in, in those areas, um, and you know whether or not. You look at some of these younger, really younger guys coming through. Um, probably a little bit too early. You, you like to think your Test match locks are going to at least have a couple of years' experience under their belt. Yeah, I suppose it's not ideal going into a World Cup. But I mean, talking about a guy like Adam Coleman, I mean, certainly he's got some wraps on him, and Bob Dwyer on our side's been been pushing him for a little while now. Um, he's been pretty decent the first couple of rounds for the Force. Do you see him having a future? Oh yeah, he'll play for Australia one day. There's no doubt about it. Um, you can, uh, you know, barring injury, he'll, he'll definitely wear a green and gold. I'm, I'm certain of that. Whether or not it's in time for the World Cup, I don't know. You know, considering there's only four games leading into the World Cup, you'd probably have to say that, um, you know, unless Michael Checker has, you know, very different plans. You know, Luke Jones went on the tour last year, and it's probably a little bit. Convoluted because you and Mackenzie picked the team to go on the spring tour and then Michael Checker took over. So, you know, that could surely happen, but uh, you, you probably think the team that went on the te- on the spring tour at the end of last year is, you know, going to be the, the rea- in reality, the, the people that got the experience coming into the World Cup this year, I'd say. Yeah. Just changing changing tack again. Uh, obviously, after a World Cup year, we, we see a b- always a bit of a player drain over to the overseas as, as the players that are a bit older start to look for a, a spot with a bit more cash up up north. It's, you yourself never really, uh, never did that, you know, stayed with the force. But, I mean, what do you make of it? Because it seems this year that it seems to be more and more players going overseas than I can remember. And do you think the AIU, sh- I mean, the, the eligibility requirements for the Wallabies are uh, the correct policy? Because I'd like to see them uh, relax. You know, I'd like to see special cases made for, for players that have played, you know, a, a lot of served a lot of time for for Australia. Because you know, and, and I don't mean that the guys like immediately guys like you know Kieran Longbottom who, who didn't manage a game yet, but you know potentially might have been in the mix. You know, Kane Douglas maybe not long enough, but a guy like Matt Kiddo, surely you know you'd, you'd like to be able to bring him into the fold and, and add his. His class and his experience to, to you know w- w- just about any position in the back line. So yeah, look, I think I think myself personally, um, I'd love to see those rules relaxed. Uh, and, and the way of the, the way of the, the, the game is going globally at the moment, rugby is so bloody strong in in France and and the UK and South Africa, and and the the I guess the, the lure of that experience plus, you know, hefty match payments, which can set guys up for, for life if they go early enough, is, is, a, is a big, big threat to Australian rugby currently because, you know, the state of the game in Australia is is, is hurting a little bit. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, I suppose looking at the looking at the Wallabies, then, I mean, how, how do you rate our World Cup chances? Obviously, our spring tour probably wasn't the wasn't the results that we would have liked, but. I mean, it seems seems like we, we'll we'll field a competitive team, but I'm not sure we can really take it to to the All Blacks and to you know win to win three or four big games in a row. I mean, do you agree? No, I think the Wallabies are capable. I think there's no doubt about it. The All Blacks are the best team in the world at the moment. But in my in my eyes, I feel that there's probably three, maybe four teams that are capable of knocking them off. It, it, you know, some critical stages of the World Cup. And if, if one of those teams can get up and, and knock the All Blacks off, you know, be it quarterfinal, semifinal, even final, um, just in a one-off game, I think if, if generally every team in the world played the All Blacks 10 times, the All Blacks would probably win, you know, eight. 
to the you know second to fifth ranked nation. I think if one thing can knock them off, then it's going to be wide open. In Australia, will will definitely be with a chance there. And Australia might be the team to knock off the All Blacks. You know, so consistently, I'd have to say the All Blacks are the best team, but the Wallabies are more than capable if they get all their pieces in line. You know, they're going to have to be very uh, fortunate with injury. You know, there's a few key positions there that they need firing to, to match it with some of the some of those other. Uh, more experienced forward packs, and, and probably a couple of backline uh, positions that need to be really uh, dominant as well. You mentioned injury, and I'd like to ask you a question from from a playing perspective, having been through a couple of World Cup campaigns. Um, in the year that leads up, in in the season that leads up, like we are now, I know as a fan, every time a player goes down, even if it's you know with a twisted ankle or something, I wince and and pray that that it's nothing serious. Um, being a World Cup year, and you know, you never want anyone to miss out. Um, as yeah. a player, I mean, looking when you're in that season, um, do the injury concerns, do the worries heighten? You know, do you always have that in the back of your mind that you don't want anything to go wrong in a World Cup year? Oh no, you, you can't because you know the minute you pull up short is, is the minute that you know sure as heck you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself. So uh, I think it's one of those things you've got to throw yourself into and, and just hope hope like buggery that it doesn't happen because. You know, you want to be part of that squad, and 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 it can be as, as uh, you know, it can be a really mundane thing that can that can lead to that tragedy. I still remember in 2007, we actually had a really really strong Wallabies team, one of the best I played in, and and um, you know, you talk about key, key players. I can still remember catching uh, doing kickoff practice with Stephen Larkham at, at the uh, final captains run before he played Wales, and and. Steve Larkin was so instrumental in that team that he, he did a drop kick and he actually flipped his knee and he chipped a piece of, car, a piece of bone and it got stuck in his joint and that was the end of his World Cup campaign and that completely derailed the Wallabies from there because we relied so heavily on, on one player and you know you can't tell me that Stephen Larkin wouldn't have been practising his drop kicks um, you know, just because of the World Cup year. So you, you've just got to cross your fingers and, and hope to buggery it, it comes through for the team. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well, let's let's both pray that that everyone in our in, our, in the Wallabies can can stay fit because I think we're certainly going to need all hands on deck, aren't we? Yeah, look, they, they build up considerable experience now, which is great. There's just a couple of key positions that they're gonna they're gonna require, you know, really combative guys, you know, particularly in the front row, um, a couple of positions in the back row, um, and, and I think you know Israel Folau is going to be. He's got to be the best fullback in the world to 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 be that guy with advantage to really bust the line open for the Wallabies. Yeah, I don't know why I sound so negative. I'm I'm desperately desperately in favour of the Wallabies, and I'm I'm sure we'll, we'll do really well. Uh, have you got any World Cup plans? Are you going to be over there at any time, or are you going to be yeah. here watching on TV with the rest of us? No, no, I'll be over there. I'll be I'm going to head over for the whole time, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, mate for the, for the first time. Sort of just uh, enjoying all the sights and sounds around the World Cup, rather than um, you know trying to win the bloody thing. So look, I'm uh, I'm I'm a bit torn. It'd be, it'd be great to be out there still having a crack at it, but uh, I'm going to be up and enjoy watching um, the Wallabies go go hard at it. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for for taking some time to chat to us, mate. And be- best of luck with everything this year. And and yeah, and good. Have a great time at the World Cup. <laughs> I've talk to you before then. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Okay, welcome back. Thanks to Nathan Sharp there. Always enlightening to have Sharpie on. And um, I thought that was really quite interesting. Um, As always, a a great contributor. But now we can forget about him because we've got two real A-grade pundits to come on and discuss Super Rugby and all things Australian rugby. I'll start with a bit of a veteran of the podcast now, Braveheart. Will, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. A uh, bit of personal news: I got I got married on Saturday, so that was, that was uh, incredibly exciting. Oh, congratulations, mate! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And and um, also joining us tonight is a, is a bit of a podcast debutante. We've got Brendan, who goes under the name BDA in the forum. Brendan, how are you, gentlemen? How are you? Good to be here for the first time. Fantastic to have you, mate. Fantastic to have you. Now let's. So you're a bit of a bit of a Reds fan from up on the Gold Coast, I believe. 
I am. Um, actually, from uh, the Southport School myself, I remember Sharpie coming to talk at my uh, year 11 rugby dinner um, back in, when was that, 2000 and, sorry, 1999. So, uh, um, yeah, born and bred Queenslander and uh, support no other team other than the Reds. <laughs> well, we'll promise, men, we, we, we won't gang up on you t- tonight as, as supporters of the reigning Super Rugby champions. <laughs> Um, yeah, so look, let's let's start by talking about the last round of Super Rugby. And I, geez, I thought again for, for the early round games. I mean, I feel really competitive, especially in the Australian Conference. Starting out with with the Brumbies going down narrowly to the Chiefs in New Plymouth, uh, nineteen seventeen. Uh, Will, what did you make of this game? It was very physical. Um, there was sort of, a, I guess, a reasonable amount of errors, but God, the uh, the the contact and uh, just the uh, sort of uh, the brutality of both teams was was really something something to behold. Um, a really good contest as well. Obviously, going down to a, a an Aaron Cruden penalty goal on the siren to win the game, but um, excellent game of rugby. And I think the the two early front runners certainly after round one, it looked like these two teams were sort of out in front, and um, it it sort of lived up to the hype. I think it was a very a very good game. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Brumbies played most of the rugby in this game, Brendan. I mean, did you? What did you make of it? I mean, I, I thought they were probably a little bit unlucky in the end that they didn't come away, you know, with the four points. Obviously, a, a late penalty goal is always a pretty tough way to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was a shame they didn't get the win in the end, but um, really uh, a great performance, I think. And um, and it's it's no shame to lose to a team like the Chiefs at home by you know just a couple of points. Um, they, I agree with Will. I think they're definitely one of those teams. That, a performance like that, even though it's a loss, it suggests that they're going to be there at finals time. Yeah, true. I mean, uh, one of my thoughts on this game was I thought the Brumbies probably went into their shell a bit in the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, you know, you see it in so many sports that when a team starts to have that one eye on the clock and uh, looks to take the foot off the accelerator, it, it all starts to go belly up. And, and I think the Brumbies... Yeah, lost that direction a little bit in the last in the last ten ten minutes, and and um, they lost that urge to score points, which I think was was so good, sort of in that first sixty minutes. Will I mean, do you, do you agree with that or? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it and I, I really felt that sort of that probably last ten or fifteen minutes, um, the Brumbies sort of really had sort of seemed to shut up shop, and um, and they probably weren't going to win if they didn't score more points. So it kind of wasn't surprising that um, that the Chiefs ran them down. Um, it was almost surprising that it took so long um, because, yeah, the Brumbies just really tried to play, I guess, the percentages. And the Chiefs aren't really the team to do that against. Like, cause they, they just, they've got good attack and and then excellent, an excellent goal kicker. And if they get get an opportunity in the right end of the field, they'll sort of they'll score some points either way sort of thing, and, and that's what happened. Um, but yeah. it, seems, it seems to be an, an unfortunate uncharacteristic uh, characteristic of Australian teams over the years that they seem to get chased down a little bit in that last 15, 10 minutes, particularly by the New Zealand teams. Um, and it, I think it happened to the, the Brumbies last year in the finals against the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah uh, what was it? Um, yeah, the, well, the 20... Uh, 2013 final, they they were out in front for most of the game and then just uh, got mowed down near the end. But, um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well. Okay. Well. That, yeah. That was that was the Brumbies game. Now moving on to I think probably the game of the round. Not that I saw too many other games in the round, but uh, the the Waratahs Rebels game, which the Waratahs took out 38-28 um, in a bit of a high scoring one. I mean, I I think this this was a really entertaining game and I think the international consensus seemed to be that it was entertaining and, and even across the codes I saw Richard Hines on Offsiders on ABC saying that this was you know a fantastic game and and a great ad for rugby um so obviously uh good to do it early when when the other codes aren't on but we had tries for the Waratahs to Hoyles, Nyaravoro, Beal and Nyaravoro um and then for the Rebels Higginbotham, Tamani, Burgess and Naivalu um Again, a, another really, really close-fought game, and, and, and I thought it probably could have gone either way, Brendan. What, what was your take? Yeah, well, I mean, the Waratahs turned up this week, didn't they? They were just, uh, I thought they were great. 
um, after last week's rubbish that they dished up. And, um, you know, it's really, as you're saying, it's really, really good to see um, some some Aussie derbies that are playing some running rugby, and, you know, that all too often in the past um, they've been dire. And these are the ones, you know, traditionally that, that get the most um, viewers in terms of Australian viewers. So these are the ones we want to be entertaining games. And I thought it was just great. Um, you, you know, uh, hard luck to the Rebels. I thought they were quite good, but um, the Tars, look, they're back on track, I think. Yeah, certainly. It was it was a real return to form for the Tars, Will. I mean, you must have been pretty happy with the way they played. A- absolutely. And uh, as a few friends texted me, it was a, it was an auspicious sign for my wedding the next day that the, the Tars got home. And uh, <laughs> I was very, very happy. But uh, there was, um, I, I guess, a bit of... Uh, a couple of sort of missed tackles that sort of led to some tries at various points, but it, generally the physicality was really, really up in this game. And the Rebels particularly probably um, just put in some massive hits, like uh, Mitch Inman absolutely flattened Tatafi now early in the game. Um, Lepetti Tamani had a few big hits. Uh, Tamati Ellison had a couple of good tackles. At, uh, and um, some of the Tars, Dave Dennis really had had some some uh, big hits including a bell ringer on uh, Mike Harris which uh, certainly got a, a few rebels and sort of up in arms thinking that um, he should have maybe got yellow carded but look I, I thought I thought the tackle was fine but uh, look it, it was a it was a really good game there were some good tries scored and um, and I think importantly for the Australian Australian teams good to see that both teams really brought that physic physical aspect to the game yeah well I want them to bring a physical aspect, but let's not go too far, guys. I mean, World Cup year again. Like, just take it easy. I mean, we can we don't have to belt <laughs> each other up. This is the typical Australian rugby. The one year we decide to really bash each other up is the one year that the World Cup's on. Um, no, but, yeah, I agree. As a Waratahs fan, it, it was great to see that, I mean, obviously there's still a little, still a few signs of rust, I thought. I mean, still a lot of drop ball and, and um, you know, uh, not quite as flying, but... I was really impressed with Bernard Foley this week. I said on the podcast last week that in the last five minutes of that force game, I think he kind of worked out how to play again, you know, to stand flat yep. to the line and, and take the ball up and, and, you know, really use his forward runners. And I think he continued that on this game. And it was pretty telling that final try it was really just him getting on the front foot and um, really just taking it straight up the guts to the rebels and, and then popping a nice pass to Kirtley Beale. Um, but Brendan, did you did you uh, have any standouts or any real standouts from that game? Uh, oh, Tamani again, I think for me, it just in terms of a player on the up, I, I was impressed what he did in the losing side. Um, I think he could be one to watch this year. Um, and I mean, from the Tars' point of view, just you know, you're exactly right. Bernard Foley and Kirtley Beale. Anyone that's read my posts on the forum over the years knows I'm a bit critical of Kirtley. I'm, I'm not his biggest fan, but she's uh, just hard to deny that he was probably the best, uh, or in my view, the best inside centre this week. Yeah, and, and I think well, we saw a bit more of what the Tars plan to do with Nyaravoro. I, I think he, he probably was a bit slow off the mark in the Force game, but got far more involved uh, this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I, I said it in the preseason that he, he was looking pretty good. And if they can get him those opportunities sort of fairly close to the line where he can sort of have a bit of a head of steam up and, and get a one-on-one situation, he's probably going to score more times than not because he's he's got a bit of sort yeah. of uh, pace to him. And obviously, he's, just, he's massive. And um, look, that, that sort of uh, the, his first try off the uh, sort of the set piece, I think, off a scrum it was... Um, or maybe a line out. I can't quite recall, but um, yeah, he just he just sort of the the back line was going forwards, and he hit, he hit the ball and just sort of into a bit of a half break, and and no one's going to make that tackle on him in that situation. And um, his second try just had a one on one out wide and had the strength to sort of I think it was push Shipley off and uh, and score in the corner. So um, yeah, if they, if they can keep him out of trouble in defence, uh, he's going to do some damage in attack. So it was, yeah. it was good to see because uh, I think it's well, going to be hard, hard, probably hard press for Beatham to to get that spot back because I think uh, Czech is stuck with Nyavoro after a pretty bad first round against the Force, and um, and then I think he delivered against the uh, Rebels, so he'll he'll have that spot against the Reds in uh, round four. 
yeah, just needs to learn the rules. Although there, there are real hallmarks of the Waratahs' tactics with him, which is just a bit like the under nines and give it to the fat kid. <laughs> yes, it's, kind of... yeah, the classic league you play. The, uh, Israel <laughs> Folau did it, did it during the preseason in his first year, and um, yeah, Tekele did it uh, in that game. And look, it, it was a, it was an obvious yellow card as a professional foul, but um, thankfully he was under so little pressure it didn't uh, warrant a, a penalty try, which could have cost the Waratahs the game. But um, yeah. Yeah, and look, I think the Rebels, from the Rebels' perspective, I mean, there seems to be a real optimism creeping into their fans. I mean, there always was a certain element of blind optimism with the Rebels guys, but, I mean, this year it seems like the, this is the best, probably, the, the best two first, the best two rounds that they've put in to start a season, even though they've won one and lost one against last year's finalists. I dare say, Brennan, that, that this year they could actually be the real deal. I, I hope you're right. Um, I mean, I think a lot um, rests on guys like Scott Higginbotham. Um, he's, you know, one of the one of the more senior guys there now, and he's really aiming up at the moment. And I think last year uh, he had a pretty average season for the Re- for the Rebels, and and as a result, uh, the team didn't do too too well. So I think he's really important for them. Um, they've got a they've got a start, hard start to the season, and things don't get any easier. They got the Brumbies um, next week, so. Um, so let's hope that they, you know, if they can keep delivering performances like this, that they'll pick up some wins, definitely. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's go ahead now to the other derby game uh, that we had. We in between we had the Hurricanes getting up over the Bulls and the Crusaders getting up in in a, in a good derby match against the Highlanders. But will obviously your wedding night, you know, obviously the ceremony is over, and then presumably everyone just crowded around to watch watch the Reds Force game. Is that that right? <laughs> N- not uh, quite, but I, I did sneak it in uh, pre- um, on Sunday morning. So, uh, <laughs> and, and also told people not to spoil the result for me on Saturday night. A, f- a few friends who were uh, who sort of saying I just started talking about the rugby. I was like, "Don't tell me! Don't tell me! I watch it tomorrow." So uh, I managed oh, to with the result, and uh, you, you weren't going to miss much, Will. <laughs> no, I, I did in in the end, and I have to say, it was. Uh, after seeing, seeing how well the Force played against the Waratahs in round one, it was pretty disappointing seeing how badly they played in this game. They just didn't really turn up, I thought. Yeah, well, Brendan, I mean, did you, obviously a little bit south of Brisbane, so you probably would have missed the the weather issues there, but yeah. obviously uh, there was a for a long time it was pretty doubtful the game was even going to go ahead. Well, that's right. I mean, the, the cricket got canned. Um, I think most people that night expected to stay in and it was quite a it was quite a surreal uh, atmosphere there at Suncorp because uh, it, it kind of harps back to the 2010 kind of 2009 days where there's just no one there, and which just uh, you know it's been so long since we've watched a game being played at Suncorp live on TV that had no atmosphere, um, and and it I think that really affected the play. Um, it was. You know, it was quite a boring game, and obviously the weather affected things too because it seemed to be we were just watching scrums the whole time. Um, uh, but, I mean, for, for me, the big positive um, was was obviously the win. Um, you know, it's been a really tough, tough week for Queensland rugby, and I can tell you the the atmosphere up there mustn't be mustn't be too great among the players, and so getting that win was really, really great. And, and for me, the, the real standout was seeing... Adam Thompson, um, who was uh, my man of the match and, um, and and really stood out, was you know busy and close out wide. He was handy in the lineouts. He was vocal um, when the forwards were getting in and doing the dirty work. He's a guy that I, I thought lifted them to a win and really nice to see that um, given the tough week they've had. Oh, yeah. It was one of those classic performances you see from sports teams every now and again where it's back to the wall and it just becomes about the result. And it doesn't matter how you get it, but it's just about getting those points. And that was clear from the Reds. I mean, they just, the force weren't getting past them. It didn't matter how ugly it had to be. The Reds were just going to win that game. And it was, in the end, it was compelling to watch as much as it was equally appalling. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a funny, funny sort of game like that. Um, I mean, Brennan, did, do you think, the back line, you know, even with missing, what, the first three choice tens, 
Um, I mm. thought Nick Frisby came in and did a pretty good job, all things considered. He, he did, I, and he was brought in the 11th hour. I, I don't know how much he would have trained there during the week, um, but presumably if uh, O'Connor was um, a bit 50-50, he, he must have done a bit. I thought he was quite good, and, and I think the back line um, was generally pretty good given the conditions. It was you know, a lot of kicking. Um, Correct, he's still standing out. Next week, hopefully, fingers crossed, James O'Connor making his debut and um, you know, going against the Highlanders. You know, that's a traditionally uh, you know, a, a high-scoring game, so I'm really looking forward to that next week. Yeah, yeah, because well, you look at that Reds back line and... Yep, they didn't fire a shot against the Brumbies, but they just started, you know, at a few little moments in that game against the Force, they just started to click, and Karevi obviously can really do some damage, but, I mean, Chris Kurandrani and, and Fayuya Sautia and, and uh, even Lockie Turner, who's just now becoming an old hand, but just hasn't missed a beat, and it's great to watch, it, watch him go around for another year, but that, that Reds back line is a pretty impressive sort of unit to complement an already solid forward pack. Yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant again and probably their, I think their best player in the first round against the uh, Brumbies where they were where they were pretty terrible but uh, had another really strong game. Uh, was on the end of an excellent team try which started from a, a Chris Kuradrani breakout down the right-hand side. Um, yeah, and, and kick goals as well which uh, I didn't even know were in his bag of tricks. So... Good to see Lockie Turner healthy again and um, and playing really well for the Reds. And I think uh, particularly with some of those key players out, he sort of uh, provides a lot of experience in, and certainly the only experience in that back three. Look, when he was playing with Chris Kouradrani and Campbell Magne, um, he's probably got 98% of the Super Rugby caps between them or something, something ridiculous. So, <laughs> But he's going well. Yeah, we, yeah, I mean, with with, with Cooper gone and, and Anthony Inger out, his uh, his experience is really coming in handy, isn't it? Oh yeah, and and the Reds just just needed in that in that back line and, and in the forward pack too. I mean, especially with the losses that they've had, I mean, it's hard to believe how many blokes they've got on the sideline. And looks like they might have Anthony Inger back this week and Ben Tapawai as well and James O'Connor and and um, yeah, so those names are going to really be needed. Um, looking at the force though, I mean. You touched on it before, Will, but I mean, it, it was disappointing to see them go into their shell a little bit. I, th- I think they obviously went in with a pre preconceived notion about how to play that game and 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 the kicking game uh, dominated with you know CS Everson who can who can kick with the best of them. But obviously, there's set pieces an issue, and, I, and we touched on it before with Nathan Sharp. But that if you can't if you don't have a scrum and you don't have a lineout in those conditions. Uh, Brendan, your life's going to be pretty tough work, isn't it? That's exactly right. And and I mean, if you look at the Reds in that game, they're already down um, Simmons, Hallwell, they lose early in the game. They lose Slipper early in the game. Um, you know, they're without Holmes. Um, you know, things could not have got much worse for them in terms of the tight five, and, uh, and they just dominated the force. And so that's really warning signs must be going off for the force at this stage in terms of that kind of set piece the, you know the problems they're going to have in the set piece. Yeah, and it's sort of. It, well, I guess it only got worse for them as well. They lost. Um, well, Peck Cowan got injured in in round one against the Waratahs, and then yep. uh, Va- Francois Van Wyck. Um, I think he. I heard he tore his pectoral muscle and is now out for the season. Um, he w- he went off in the fourth minute or something. So they're sort of basically from the beginning of the game. They're there with their their third string loose head prop. Um, and it was it was trouble from there, and their line out also has struggled so far this season. They lost quite a few throws against uh, against the throw against the Waratahs, and yeah. uh, that's clearly not working for them very well either. So certainly issues at set pace for them, which was which was one of their strengths last year, and and probably critical to playing that sort of grinding style that they they were so successful with last year. Yeah, I mean, looking at the players on the field, I mean certainly. As much as there's been some hype around guys like Lepetti Tamani um, and Will Skelton in the early rounds, but I've got to say, I reckon the former Australian player at the moment is, is Ben McCalman. I thought he had another great game. Yeah, he carried that forward pack without a, without a doubt. Like the, uh, he's probably the only one who really kept them uh, competitive in in the sort of the tight battle. Um, he's he's been really good, and 
and is is certainly with, even with everyone fit, if he's not the starting uh, number eight in the team, he's he's certainly in the match day twenty three for the Wallabies. So um, he's become a very a very crucial player to Australian rugby in the last uh, year or so. True. Yeah. Well, let, let's look ahead now to round three. And obviously, just wrapping up round two, we had the Stormers getting over the Blues in Cape Town and the Sharks beating the Lions in Durban. Uh, looking at round three, though, we've started out the Friday, the early Friday game. The reason that you've got to knock off a little bit early from work on Friday is <laughs> the Highlanders against the Reds in Dunedin. And this promises to be a cracker. The Highlanders always can provide you with a good game. And with the Reds just got that win under their belt, going over to New Zealand for the first time this year, Brendan. I mean, are, are you confident, or are you still a little bit wary after after round one? I don't think uh, on last week's performance the Reds uh, will will win away. Um, but you know, it's it's a start, and I think uh, James O'Connor back. Um, you know, as you're saying, it's it's traditionally quite an open game. If the Reds' backline can click, uh, I think we're a real shot. And uh, you know we showed this week that uh, we could we you know we have the talent there to put the pressure on in uh, you know in the uh, in the forward in the set piece so um, you know anything can happen yeah no I think the uh, the Highlanders uh, prop um, Kane Hames got suspended as well so that might uh, tip the scales a, a little bit in the Reds' favour in in, uh, in the set piece and and maybe that good Red scrum can uh, win them some more penalties and and. Uh, maybe even another penalty try. So yeah. certainly give them a good chance in this game. I almost wonder whether uh, you don't want to rush back too many of those players who are becoming available because uh, even though they're on paper better players, if you make too many changes, it could disrupt things a bit too much. Like mm. Some of those guys who will probably lose their spot have been doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, I, it's, it's, it was a bit hard. Uh, I watched the Highlanders game this week. It was a little bit hard to get a read on them because... Um, they looked a bit underdone, um, you know, but having the first week by, um, and I thought they might get up at home over the the, the Saders, but um, they just they just looked like they um, they were still a bit rusty. Um, so it's really hard to see how they'll play next week. You know, the Reds got the extra game under their belt, so maybe they'll have a faster start. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, let's hope the Reds can get the job done there which means you've then got about three hours to catch up with your loved ones and touch base with your family before the Force Hurricanes game kicks off from NIB Stadium at about 10 uh, Sydney time, probably 9 Queensland time. Um, Will, obviously, the Force up and down so far, and the Hurricanes are two from two, having had a very successful uh, South African road trip. Um, Often these games are interesting because the Force tend to do get these teams on the way back from South Africa. And um, sometimes, you know, they can be buggered, but other times they can they can really turn up to play. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Look, the Force are going to have to be much better than they were against, uh, against the Reds. Um, but I think they will be better at home. Um, I believe Nick Cummins is back, in, uh, back with them, and, and you'd expect that... Uh, He'd be picked if he if he is available if he's there. So uh, it'd be good to see him back on the park. Um, the Hurricanes. I, I watched their first game, and look, they they weren't entirely convincing. But uh, look, um, they've always been a good side to watch, and always tended to uh, disappoint because they've got so much attacking promise and uh, rarely deliver. But they've sort of had a flying start to the season, and and they'll be thinking, look, if they can notch another win here. They're real. Cha- they've set up beautifully for the season. Like if you started with three away wins and one two in South Africa, you, you're in a really good position to, even after only three rounds, to really press for a good spot on the ladder. So, I think they'll be pretty hungry, and and the Force will really need to play well to win this one. I think um, the Hurricanes are sort of starting to get some some good experience amongst uh, their sort of players. Like TJ Perinara really runs the show now, and. Um, and I think Artie Savi has started to, to really sort of, uh, I guess, fulfil his promise in the forward pack like, and playing with a bit of maturity. So uh, this this should be a good game. I think uh, two quite um, quite sort of contrasting styles. The force really sort of grinding and, and sort of tight and uh, 
and based on a strong defence and the Hurricanes are really like throwing the ball around a bit. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who wins that battle. Yeah, Brennan, you got a tip? Uh, unfortunately, I'd probably have to go with the Hurricanes at the moment. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not every day you see a team go over to South Africa and pick up uh, eight points. Um, and uh, then and their backline, you know, if they start clicking, um, it's, you know, it's just the, the talent they've got there is just amazing. I mean, Jason... Jason Woodward, I think, is going to be the, the real, um, uh, the real steal of the season for them, and I think he's going to have a massive season. Um, I, I'm, unfortunately, I'll have to go with the Canes to win this one. I just think they've got too much firepower. Yeah, it'll be a great game to watch, and and let's hope we get a big crowd. First game in NRB Stadium. Welcome back to the Honey Badger, despite the fact that really he hasn't really left. He only left for the off season. Now he's back again for the start of the season. <laughs> Um, but let's hope the Force can do what they did to the Rebels last time in their first game at home and, and blow them away. But I, I agree. I reckon that the Canes are going to be a real tough test. Um, moving on, though, we've got the Cheetahs against the Blues uh, overnight in Bloemfontein. And then we've got the Chiefs Crusaders from Hamilton. That'll be a great game. But then the Derby game that night, Rebels against the Brumbies at Amy Park. Um both teams, you'd say, are in pretty good form. Brumbies, obviously, with the class edge, but Rebels looking to claim another big Aussie scalp, Will. Um, who's your tip? Oh, I've probably got to go with the Brumbies here, but look, I, I think the Rebels will give them a real shake. I, I, as a Waratahs fan, I was pretty worried last Friday, and um, I think the Rebels the Rebels have really got something about them this season. They're, they're, they just look a lot more composed and... Um, and just a better rugby team than they have in the past. And I think they'll go really close in this one. It's It might come down again to that last 10 minutes and whether whether they've learned some lessons from uh, being overrun by the Tars uh, to see if they can bring this one home. But, um, look, I think the Brumbies will probably just get up, but I think it'll be really close. Yeah, I mean, it's a big game for the Brumbies. Um, as much as they're in great form at the moment, um, the Rebels can turn up to play, and if the Brumbies don't take this one, I mean, you don't want to put too many sort of prognostications on everything, but, you know, being one and two and having lost a few close ones, as, as you know, if this was to be a close one, it's never a great place to be. But, Brendan, you've got to think the Brumbies are, are solid favourites for this one. Yeah, and you make a good point. I mean, that's what, that's what makes Super Rugby so great traditionally is, you know, if you lose a game here or there, um, that really dictates where you end up on the ladder at the end of the season. So, um, you know, if Brumbies lose this one, um, and it's not such a great start to the season, but, um, geez, I, I, I think they're the pick of the Australian side so far, and I think uh, I, I think they'll have enough. For, I agree with Will. I think it's going to be really close, but I think the Brumbies will, will have enough to win. Yeah, I mean, the Aussie Conference is as competitive as it's ever been. I mean, it yeah. was one of our... One of our articles today it was either the top five or the five things. One of the fives, I can't remember. It's just our site's just fives now. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> both great articles, by the way. I both sensational. So I recommend reading them. But was the fact that I think our conference is as competitive as it's ever been. I mean, you do remember those days, probably three, four, five years ago, where the Rebels were the, were the five point buy and the Force didn't didn't do much either and. That was the year the Reds won and the Kiwis wouldn't shut up about how they only won because of the weak Australian conference. But now you've got to say, I mean, whether it's the NRC or whether it's the smarter recruiting or whatever it is, uh, Brennan, the, the Australian conference is in rude health. Oh, definitely. And, uh, I mean, clearly the South African conference, I think, uh, has been the weakest the last couple of years. And, uh, and thankfully next year we get another South African team. So. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We've been crying out for that for ages. So <laughs> I'm glad that we can finally stop complaining about that. <laughs> so that's that's the round of Super Rugby. To finish it off, we've got the Bulls against the Sharks and the Lions against the Stormers, two barnstorming SA derbies, which we all just love so much. So I'm sure we'll be staying up for all hours for that. And then we've got the Waratahs against the Bye. And um, I'm tipping the Waratahs here. The Bye have started pretty patchy, and they uh, haven't won a game so far. So I reckon the Tars will pick up the points there. Although let's just hope Wycliffe Palu doesn't get injured again. Um, <laughs> and look, I, I guess 
all jokes aside, um, it's probably like round three is pretty early to have the have the buy, but the Waratahs probably need it after a really physical game against the Rebels. They've uh, got a few walking wounded. Um, ben Robinson got his uh, got his sort of eyebrow split open and was in a bit of a bad way. Taft got um, concussed and and had to sit out the game. And then there are certainly a few bumps and bruises, I think. But um, the Waratahs have a their B side, the Gen Blue side, have a fixture on Friday night against a. I think it's a Pampas 15 from Argentina. Um, so that'll be, I think, and I think that's at TG Milner at Eastwood. And that'll that'll be, a, I think, a good hit out for quite a few of the, uh, both the reserves from the, the match day 23 and and some of those guys also pressing for selection in, in the main side. So I think there'll be plenty of players trying to uh, force their way into, into the uh, main side on in that one. So it should be interesting for the Waratahs. Yeah, and... Then leading into the blockbuster, the Reds Waratahs at Suncorp next week. And it's good to see that without Reg in charge and with a few Waratahs at the helm, we could still eke out a solid four minutes talking about the Waratahs against the bye. So yeah, absolutely. it's always great when the New South Welshmen are in charge. But let, let's take a step back now from the Super Rugby on the field and talk about a few off-field issues that have we've been through in the last week and a half. And obviously... The big one is is the issue around Carmichael Hunt um, being not arrested, as I believe, uh, but certainly has a notice to appear in a local court on the Gold Coast with a charge of, I believe, possession and supply. But we've got Brendan here who's got a little bit of expertise in this area, being from the Gold Coast and being roughly in that line of work, in, in the legal line of work, not the drug-related line of work. Um, but... Uh, Brendan, in terms of your insight here, if you can just walk us through what the process is and what Carmichael has been charged with and, and sort of what his timeline is from here forward. Sure. Well, um, I, I mean, the difficult thing, I think, at the moment is um, we don't really know a lot about uh, what Carmichael's been charged with, and I think that's the tough thing for both Carmichael and the fans and also the QRU and the ARU. Um, all, all we know at this stage is essentially what the CCC has released, which is there was a uh, there's a large uh, investigation going on uh, into um, drug related, serious drug related activity, presumably in the Gold Coast area, around the Gold Coast area, and then as a result of that, Carmichael has been charged uh, with a few counts of supply. Now um, we don't know at this stage the seriousness of his supply charge. Supply can be um, on the very serious scale, it can be a not-so-serious charge. So at the moment, we don't really know anything. Um, he has a notice to appear, which means he'll appear in court shortly. I, I believe it's around the start of March. And um, when he appears in court, um, that is when we will find out a little bit more about um, about the charges that have been laid against him. Uh, generally, on the first occasion you appear in court, um, the prosecution produced a document which we lawyers call the QP9s in Queensland, Essentially, that's a fact sheet or a sheet with um, some brief allegations um, that the prosecution will intend to rely on in prosecuting charges of Carmichael Hunt. So when we get to the first mention, um, uh, no doubt the prosecution will disclose this document and that will have some details about what they are alleging against Carmichael and, and perhaps we'll get some idea of, of what evidence they intend to rely on, the CCC intend to rely on in trying to prosecute him. So that's when we'll know a little bit more. You know, all the parties are going to get a bit more clarity, and uh, and I, I think then you'll see some decisions made in terms of, of, of uh, uh, you know, whether whether he comes back into the side and things like that. Because obviously that's just the, you know the very first step on the road, and and there is a possibility, yep. obviously, that that next hearing is months and maybe even next year. You know, in, ter in terms until the matter's resolved. Well, well, that's. That's right, Hugh. And um, I mean, he'll he'll have his initial appearance. He may or may not enter a plea on that date. And what I mean by that is, um, uh, he'll, he'll he may or may not give an indication to the court whether he intends to plead not guilty. I, I presume, um, if he intends to plead not guilty, I presume he'll make a plea early on because of the situation he's in in terms of his high profile. Um, and then it, it really is quite a slow process. Um, 
the, the matter will have to go through the steps of a brief of evidence being produced. That can take uh, you know months. And I presume this has been mentioned. I don't know a lot about his charges, but I suspect it's at Southport Magistrates Court, a very one of Queensland's, if not Queensland's, most busiest magistrates court. So it often takes months for matters just to come on for simple mentions. I would suspect if if he is in fact intending to defend this, I, I don't think um, he'd be looking at a trial. Um, within uh, 12 months of his first appearance, so that really, um, uh, you know, that's that's as you, as you say, that's something that's quite important taking into account what um, the QRU intend to do and what the ARU intend to do. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's a really tough situation to deal with, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it sort of the, the whole, and obviously, I think the expectation from the, the larger story is that there's going to be more sports people named um, and, and another another professional team being brought into the equation. Um, so there are clearly, clearly lots of people involved. Um, just from my sort of reading of all the news reports and stuff, it seems like it's it obviously it centres on this this man, who, uh, John Toomer, who used to play for the Roosters in the NRL, well, I think pre-NRL. Um, and... Um, Obviously, there was a, a um, Queensland CCC uh, investigation into him, and and they obviously believe he's quite sort of, I guess, quite a significant player, and uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the drug market, and obviously uh, there's been a whole lot of surveillance on him, whether it's sort of following him around and and filming and um, and also phone taps and things like that. And then all these sports people, through obviously through their connections uh, in the sporting world, have, have been uh, allegedly buying their their cocaine probably directly from him, which is probably why they've all been caught up in this. I guess as as these things you'd, you'd normally expect them to go, if someone just want, wanted something for their Saturday night, they're probably not dealing with someone who's uh, got a significant. Um, uh, crime and corruption commission investigation going on about them so uh they've i think they've been caught in a web of uh a much higher sort of profile case that um, has sort of entrapped them all but uh i think you're right well i mean that seems to be from from an outsider's perspective at least at this stage what it seems to be a serious investigation into serious um uh you know people dealing drugs or trafficking drugs and then as a result of whatever surveillance these players have got caught in the net. And then I think you'd find that uh, ordinarily, unfortunately, the situation is ordinarily you have a, an organisation like the CCC where they are, their sole purpose is to investigate these kind of serious crimes. Um, and uh, in doing that, um, they'll often come through, they'll come a lot of, across a lot of, not, not what I call petty crime, but, um, uh, you know, smaller criminals, which they might not be after. And I think most of them would simply fall through the net, but because of the high profile of these various people, I suspect that that's the reason um, that they're in the position they are. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because as has some of the coverage has has, has been has pointed out, certainly from um, I know Clyde Rathbone certainly wrote a very good article on it. But having players, certainly rugby players, current Wallabies and top line players, having them in court facing charges isn't a necessarily unique thing. Um, it's not particularly uncommon. We've had it before. We've had it with uh, Quade Cooper. We've had it with Kirtley Beale. Um, we've had it with David Pocock recently. And whilst all of those, I believe, have not resulted in criminal convictions, certainly the idea of, of, of being charged with a crime is, is, is not a uh, deal-breaker in terms of uh, playing for the Wallabies and uh, playing top-level rugby. But yet... With drugs, when drugs are brought in um, and a high-profile case such as this, I mean, does this force the, the ARU to act to, to take Carmichael Hunt out of the game? Or is there a chance that, that we can give him a second chance? And, well, and, and, it, or I mean, is there also the issues of wider as well, the wider code? Well, well, it, it's a tough one because you have competing stakeholders. You know, you've got you know, the fans on one, one hand, you've got parents of young children who, uh, you know, see these kids as role models. You have sponsors and people putting money into the, the organisations. Um, and then you have the player and the, and the, and, and the team. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the saying is you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's just not a throwaway line. That is 
the absolute f fundamentals of our legal system is that uh, despite the fact you're charged with an offence, you are innocent until proven guilty. Now, we talk about um, before the fact that, th that Carmichael Hunt might be, it might be a year before he goes to a trial in relation to these charges. Um, you know, for him to be, for for the club not to get behind him, for the ARU not to get behind him and, and uh, give him the benefit of the doubt and say, OK, Carmichael, you're innocent until proven guilty, it's going to have a severely detrimental impact on him. And this is a bloke that... Um, you know, he's he's a, a, a bloke that's been a very positive contributor to the Queensland community for a long time. Um, by all accounts, you know, I know many people down at the Suns organisation, he's he's a great bloke. Um, you know, if he goes to court um, on you know in early March, um, we'll get some idea of what the allegations are against him. If uh, provided they're not on, on the very serious scale, and provided he intends to. Um, defend himself and, and plead not guilty in these proceedings. I would really like to see um, the, the the QRU and the ARU take a really pragmatic approach and say, look, we have a player here. He's pleading not guilty. They are not, you know, the most serious charges. Um, you know, now that we know a little bit about the facts, um, uh, we should get behind him. You know, he's going to be a year before he goes to trial. Um, he's an asset to us. He's, as I said, he's a, he's someone that's contributed to the to you know to the Queensland community for a long time. Um, he should be given the better of the doubt. I mean, that's my view, and that that's certainly the view of the law. Yeah, well... I, I tend to agree with you there, Brendan. Um, it, I certainly think he'll be stood down from the Reds until... I think I think I remember that, that court date's maybe the 5th of March. Yep. I, I think they won't they won't do anything further until then. They'll, they'll just leave him not training with the side and obviously won't be selecting him. They'll wait until they see that charge sheet and and what the the uh, the uh, the crown is alleging, um, and, and then go from there and make it make a decision on whether they think they can they can keep him as part of the team and, and bring him back into sort of training and playing, um, or or whether they need to sort of need to continue sort of standing him down. But yeah, I, I agree that it's likely to be a, a very long and drawn out process, and probably not one where they can sort of. Uh, I guess cut the cord immediately, uh, and probably shouldn't. Um. I mean, the, the other thing is that, that we're not taking into account is uh, kind of his contractual position, and uh, with with the QRU and the ARU and and um, what his rights are in that regard. Um, what are their rights to stand him down? And um, and in fact, you know, is he going to get paid in any event? Um, are we better off to have him on the field? Um, for the next year, if we're going to be paying him to, you know, sit at home, um, uh, you know, I, I would think that they're precluded from making any um, a, a, any major decisions in terms of his contract until he's actually tried. So I think that I mean, their only options I would have thought are to to let him play or to stand him down officially. Um, I agree with you, Will. I think um, I think they'll they'll do nothing until the, the first mention once they know a little bit more as i said we're all going to get some clarity come 5th of march uh, and then i i, I hope uh, i hope that sense prevails you know as i said provided um, carmichael does intend to, to defend himself in, in the proceedings i uh, hope some sense prevails and he gets some support yeah well i think i think that's probably a good a good note to leave it on uh, it's a really interesting issue and it's certainly one that's as we've mentioned it's it's far from over so um, probably touch base again, Brennan, after the after the fifth of March, and and have a chat and see uh, where he goes from here, because it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating little um, sort of period of events for Queensland and, and for Australia, Australian rugby, as it grapples with a number of these issues, which I think are, are getting more and more prominent um, as time goes on. Um, in terms of other issues, there's a few little things I'll, I'll mention. Is uh, today, the Waratahs appointed the new CEO, um, Greg Harris, who was formerly of RUPA, uh, the Players Association. Um, interestingly enough, they trumpeted on Thursday that uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald that it was going to be a nationwide search that would take weeks, but managed to settle on a candidate within three days. So um, that's another example of... of <laughs> We're a very small country Strange here, recruiting practices. Long, out Turns out they just report, just uh, putting Greg from down the hall. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but the word is he's actually quite an outstanding administrator. So hopefully we can that can see the Waratahs continue to go forward. Also, more good news is uh, is a 
rumoured uh, big increase in the TV deal for the ARU um, with the increase in payments coming from the UK and also the uh, US dollar against the Australian dollar has, has been our friend. So um, we might have an extra $20 million to play with. So let's hope that um, we can get one or two million of that down at the grassroots and, and obviously keep the rest in the pockets of administrators where it belongs. Um, anything, anything else have I missed? No, I'll take I that think as that's a no. That's probably about it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think I think we probably had enough for this week. So, a uh, uh, great podcast, Brennan. Uh, for a debutante, you, you played an absolute blinder. Um, <laughs> yeah, hope, hope, hope we can have you back. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'd love we, to come back. Will, I've got to say, you know, you, you're a bit of a veteran, but obviously warming up as the season goes on. I expect you to be peaking come finals time. <laughs> I hope so, and hopefully the Waratahs are there again. So. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the thing. We'll, we'll pen you down for the grand final podcast. Make sure we, we we've got uh, you don't have plans for that. And uh, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll be in London, so uh, I might have to do an international guest uh, spot, as, as I know <laughs> you uh, you might have uh, last year when you were travelling. Uh, yeah, well, well, good. That, that's fantastic. Well, we'll lock that in, Brendan. Obviously, you can have the grand final barbecue with your mates watching on TV, but that's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, guys, th- thanks thanks for joining us, and um, yeah, look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon, and uh, everyone out there uh, hearing you again next week. Cheers, guys. Yeah, I thought he was all right. Yeah.